TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, I am really glad that I wandered by your spacecraft and picked you up as you were floating in space today, so we could podcast together. I'm so glad you did too. I mean, I had no idea how long I was going to be out here, and honestly, power was starting to run a little low. It's getting kind of cold. So, uh, do you have any? Um, you know, I don't know anything warm to drink: hot chocolate, bourbon, anything. I think we could hook you up with some bourbon for sure. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, and if you want to take in a movie. We've got, you know, Sunset Boulevard's coming up next week, so we could watch that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, I've always wanted to see that, too, so that's fantastic. Well, I'm also glad that we figured out how to communicate with each other, because podcasting would be difficult if Hoshi did not get the UT working so quickly, because we're going to talk about Dear Doctor today as we continue our 20th anniversary rewatch. And here's a quick rundown of the episode. An alien astronaut leads the Enterprise crew to a planet in crisis. Two intelligent humanoid species live side by side, but one is suffering from a deadly disease. Unraveling the mystery puts Dr. Phlox and Captain Archer at odds as they decide whether or not to intervene in the development of another society. And Phlox shares all the details with his pen pal. So, that's of course only one part of this episode. Matthew, there's another very interesting part that we'll talk about along the way, but let's just start with the format. I mentioned he's sharing it all with his pen pal, Dr. Lucas, and the episode borrows this narrative style from the TNG episode Data's Day. I think it most closely mirrors that. What do you think about this way of telling the story to also let us get to know the doctor a bit better? I thought that this was a good opportunity to be able to do that, you know, to really basically get inside Flox's head in the same way that, you know, when you're reading a book and, and it allows the um, reader to be inside the heads of the characters because you can be in there with their thoughts. And so in many ways, you know, this is the easiest way to do that on screen with a character, them kind of narrating a story and, and it allows them to be able to say things out loud that they might not necessarily get to do, like even just in conversations that you would have them in. And so I think this is the perfect way to be able to allow us further insight into flocks, but really just to kind of see, you know, obviously flocks and Paul are the same type of character as like a Spock or, mm-hmm. you know, a Data or an Odo or, you know, all of those type of characters that are on the outside looking in to humanity and and to be able to kind of explore humanity from that perspective. And so I think that this format really gives us the opportunity to do what Star Trek does best, which is to be able to look at ourselves and see our reflection in that way. Yeah, I think seeing things through Flux's eyes, you know, he talks about how the crew has been adapting to having an alien doctor aboard. And, you know, Flux has been on Earth, so it's not like Flux has to get used to humans, but he does admit that he's still learning a lot about them. And being in close quarters like this, those dynamics change. 
And for much of the crew, I think being around aliens, certainly aliens other than Vulcans, is a new experience for them. So I think that's interesting. I, I like the narrative style. I actually, a few days ago, because we were going to talk about this, I went back and I rewatched Data's Day. And I just wanted to follow the story and also see like what else was going on in that episode while Data was recounting to Maddox his like experiences with everyday life with humans. Right. And I think that it's a it's a nice way to tell a story. It's a little bit like in the pale moonlight on DS9, where we do get Cisco narrating, kind of recounting what had happened to him. Yes. This one's a bit different because we're actually learning in real time. He he's writing it down for Lucas as it happens, as opposed to Cisco recounting what had happened. And also there's no log mm-hmm. to erase at the end. <laughs> but yeah, I like the format quite a bit. The other thing that's interesting in this episode, before we get into the heavier aspect of it, is the interest that Crewman Cutler is showing in Flux. And it ties in well to the the situation that Flux is in, where he's kind of trying to work out, trying to understand humans, their motivations, and right. work out what decisions to make. What did you think about that? And did it seem like it came out of nowhere in terms of Cutler's interest in Flux? Um, I didn't feel like that at all, that it came out of nowhere. I think we've already seen her be quite curious um, in the time that she's been on Enterprise. And, um, you know, I think what this allowed them to do is to begin to create more interest in her character. Again, it, it, it does really help us kind of get an opportunity to know Phlox because of her interest, because he divulges some personal information that he hasn't told anybody else here on the ship. And I think, too, their whole thought process, obviously, at this point, is that they wanted her to be more and more a part of the series. You know, they they wanted her to basically be in somewhat like... um uh, at Deep Space Nine, where you ha- we had those secondary characters who almost felt like primary characters, I think Cutler was meant to be that, obviously, for for this series. And I love the their their relationship, their flirtation, and also I, I think the beauty of kind of what she even says to him is that, look, I have no idea where this is going, basically, but I could I, I want to be your friend. And regardless of where it goes, my interest is is in getting to know you and who you are. And I think that's really cool because, you know, as Phlox talks about in the letter, the crew is starting to get more used to him. They're getting more comfortable with him. And, and we actually, one of the nice things is that we don't just tell the audience that's happening. We show the audience that that's happening through the relationship that he's developing with Cutler, whether it becomes romantic or not, is not necessarily the most important thing. What's important is that we're being shown somebody being interested in getting to know flocks on a deeper level. And I think that's the thing that, that really makes this special. And the two characters, you know, and, and the two actors, they just have some good chemistry together. They inhabit the screen well together. 
And I think that that's really enjoyable to watch. You know, you always, you know, that's one of the things about any show. The relationships of the cast outside of the show, it many times impacts the relationship they end up having on screen. And you can tell, like, that their chemistry is strong. So putting them together also has great story potential, you know, not just romantically, but in the ways in which the thematic elements from their story have an impact and and kind of reference what we're going to talk about in a little bit, which is the main thematic element of the episode. Right. I thought it was interesting, too, that the situation with Flux and T'Pol on the Enterprise is generally that they know more about what's going on than the human crew. Right. But this flipped it around so that it's actually Phlox who feels a bit like a fish out of water. You know, he feels a bit uncomfortable. He doesn't know how to mm-hmm. interpret things or how to react. And I thought that was a nice little bit of storytelling there. It also gave, it's in a different scene. It, well, T'Pol and Phlox are talking about the Cutler situation. And T'Pol right. tells him that humans tend to be easily infatuated with things they find new and if you just take that out of the context of what she's really saying, which is that they're not emotionally mature enough for interspecies relationships, I think that it's a good commentary on how humans think, and even more so today than when this episode was filmed. It's always the next new thing, right? Everyone's just moving on to the next new thing all the time. And so it's a little bit of timeless, maybe obvious, but timeless commentary by Star Trek. And yeah, just it was inter- it would have been interesting to see where they went with this mm-hmm. relationship and these two characters if Kelly Waymeyer had not passed away and could have remained on the show. Yeah, which is, you know, the worst thing. I mean, one, um I, I just remember when it happened and yeah. being kind of devastated just because I loved her on the show and then I really, you know, wanted to see more of her. I, I thought she was fantastic. I loved her as a, as the character and yeah. The, the, and she was very young too. Yeah, she was quite happened, young. You yeah. know, and only in her forties. So and I see her you know, turn up on other shows as well, you know, as the different yeah. characters and yeah, yeah. I, I like that you pointed out the whole fish out of water thing that happens because I also think that the conversation that, Flocks and T'Pol have, I do think that this shows some of the bias that T'Pol has against humanity. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, that's her opinion, right? That that humans aren't ready for this. But that's also Flocks's opinion of Archer in this episode is that he's not ready. And and he makes a point of saying, if I had not given him the opportunity to make a the decision, I would have been doing the exact same thing that the Vulcans did to humanity all those years ago. And so in the end, trying to find your own way and allow people to find their own way is really important, I think. And so I I loved that all of, again, I think this is a really solid episode in the sense it's very consistent with itself. It's very consistent in its worldview and it's very consistent in the way in which these different characters are interacting with one another and um, and in the way that pretty much everything in the episode thematically is playing to the main theme. Uh, yeah, and yeah. so this is one of the, the best episodes we've seen of Enterprise so far just on that standpoint when it comes to the way the writing is all working together to tell 
a full story and every single part of the episode is a part of that, which, you know, is is what makes for the best television episodes of any show. So this is this is one of I mean, I guess not to give away a rating, but this is one of the pinnacle episodes so far then of season one just because of that. Right. Well, it's a good point, because even the romantic interest that Cutler is showing in Flocks, first of all, it it gives the writers an opportunity to give us more information about the Nobulans, their societal structure, their marriage. Uh, also, they don't really get into the details, but there is that little bit back and forth with Dr. Lucas about reproduction and no, the Nobulan reproduction is very complicated. But the Cutler thing, there's the scene on the planet where Phlox reveals to her that he has three wives and they talk about, well, cultures are different, so does it matter to you? And that is about a potential relationship between the two of them, but it completely mm-hmm. ties in, as you say, to the main part of the story and what's going on in terms of should we intervene or not intervene in another culture? Or should we respect cultural differences? And it all ties together really well. Well, let's talk about these decisions, which is kind of the key part of everything that's going on. Flox has a decision to make. Archer has a decision to make. On our outline, we have these as separate items, but I'm pretty sure they're all going to bleed together because they're all in the dialogue between the two characters. There's this tug of war between should we help them or should we not help them? If we can find a cure, should we give them the cure? Of course, they want warp technology so they can go out and look for more people to help them. That was initially the more interesting part to me. And especially the fact that Archer was considering it because at this point, humanity's experience in space is so limited that Archer isn't really thinking ahead about the repercussions of sharing technology like that with a less advanced culture. And also, Tapol's response to the situation I found interesting because she's weighing whether it would be okay or not okay to interact with this culture based on the fact that they've had contact mm-hmm. with other warp-capable species. And again, we don't have a prime directive mm-hmm. yet, although the end of this episode really pushes us towards that prime directive very strongly, the fact that there will be one one day. So anyway, that was a long setup. What are your thoughts about this situation and how it evolves through the episode? It's so interesting because the episode refers to the idea of like the creation of the prime directive one day and you know the prime directive is about not interfering with non-warp species but this species already knows that warp technology exists because they've met other species they they are spacefaring people but they're not a warp capable people just yet and yet what's interesting here is that it's about non-interference and these people actually ask for help. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like this episode doesn't quite do the job that it wants to do because these people are actually asking for help. And we have the ability to help them and give them what they're asking for. They don't need the warp technology because well, we have the cure. And so we could just give them the cure. And I think the argument that Flox and Archer have about the idea of evolution and everything, okay, but I don't 
really think that that is I think Flox's argument is interesting, but I don't really agree with it mm-hmm. because I don't think that just because the Mank are evolving and becoming smarter and everything does not mean that that relationship between them and the Vlockians can't continue to evolve and grow as well. And this, I mean, we'll, we, we, what's interesting is we'll actually see later on that with the, the Zindi, you can have a lot of different species, right. uh, all evolve on a planet and, and they all get along well enough. And so I think Flox's argument is actually destroyed later on by the series when we meet the Zindi and realize, oh yeah, I mean, this is, so I just don't agree with Phlox in in this. Uh, I think he he makes the wrong choice. I think Archer makes the wrong choice. Um, they said they're not here to play God, but their decision in the end plays God, right? Like, sort of. It, re, re, yeah. Yeah. Regardless of how you do this, you're playing God. And so if if we're if we're going to make that decision, I would rather err on the side of life and people surviving and them being able to figure it out rather than the other way around because. I don't, to me, that is where we've crossed a moral boundary that that should be never crossed. Life should always be something that we work to protect. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just where I come from. And, and, I mean, I think, I think from a certain point of view and or a certain worldview, they're logically consistent. But my worldview and the worldview of the writers here is completely different. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, you know, I, I just don't agree. So, I mean, whereas I think the episode is interesting and good and, and creates a um, uh, uh, an interesting conundrum, I, I think the actual answer here is wrong. Okay. So, let, let's break down what happens just to be clear and make sure I'm clear as well. So, the Valakians are suffering from a disease, but it's actually not exactly a disease. It's a flaw in their DNA. It's a natural flaw in their DNA. But Phlox can fix it, Mm -hmm. but he also has a treatment that will ease the symptoms, but it won't actually fix the flaw. So they're still going to die later on, a few centuries later. Unless they... Find the, Unless they find a cure. cure. Okay, yeah. that's right. And so that's the Vlachian situation. Now, there's also the mink who seem to be evolving and becoming more intelligent. And if you look at it like in an Earth parallel, and this is probably not, you know, scientifically probably not a fair, not an equal situation. But if you take maybe the two most advanced humanoid species that have lived on Earth, us Homo sapiens and the Neanderthal, we lived at the same time and Homo sapiens survived and Neanderthals when it's extinct, although a lot of their DNA is in our DNA because we interbred. So the mink are perhaps like the Neanderthal and if the Homo sapiens had a genetic flaw and we were dying out, maybe the Neanderthal would have continued to evolve and they would have become the dominant species. Again, I'm not trying to get into like scientific accuracy here. It's just a bit of a parallel 
between worlds. So the situation is that if Archer and Flogstone intervene, maybe the Valakians die out and the Mank become a very advanced species hundreds of years or a thousand years in the future, which could change all the dynamics of that area of space. So that's sort of the situation that we're in. And that's from the medical standpoint. Then there's the, maybe the Vlachians see it as a quick fix of, we get warp technology, and then we can go around looking for people, which would mean that a, a culture that's not really advanced enough yet to be interacting on a galactic scale would start right. interacting with other species. And what are the repercussions of that? Mm-hmm. So that that's sort of the, right. the overall situation. So what you're saying is that, so what Archer ends up doing is he gives them the treatment that will right. ease the symptoms. He does not give them the cure that would fix the DNA flaw, and he does not give them warp drive. So basically, he has prolonged the interaction, the situation in which the Valakians are holding the mink down, although they're also providing for them, but they mm-hmm. might be stifling their evolution. Well, and I think that that's, that's the way that we see that here, but the Mank and, and the Velakians have obviously uh, have a really nice equilibrium that they have worked on. Mm-hmm. As the, the Mank would advance, that would most likely have to change in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And And so how that will change, we have no idea. Flock says that what's going to happen is that they're going to keep them down, but he doesn't know that. Right. He's extrapolating and 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 putting his own biases on there as well. So again, Fox is playing God. Archer is playing God here. And the problem is, is that they're not out here to play God. They got asked for help and they have the ability to fix this and they're presuppositions about what may or may not happen on this planet are actually what are getting in the way. Mm-hmm. And and so what I'm saying is is that there's a complete flaw in Flox's logic because he doesn't actually know that that's going to happen. Right. And again, like we you know they might not be ready for warp technology, but that doesn't mean they're not ready for the cure and that that that, that um they can't make good decisions going forward i mean that to me what, what's so interesting about the episode is that we really do see that so far this society on all sides seems to have made good decisions mm-hmm. and so to say that they're not going to make good decisions from now on it seems counter to what we the very little we know of them so i, I just I, I really think that the episode it misses some interesting and some key points that I wish somebody would have brought up, you yeah, know, yeah. which is to say, hey, we don't actually really know what's going to happen. All we have here is the decision we make now, and the decision that Archer makes now is it's decent in the sense that it does give them a chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, you know, you're saying there's a chance, <laughs> but he he still in many ways does the very thing he said he didn't want to do, which is to play God. And he, he does play God here. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's difficult 
to, to be in that position in the sense that life and death situations are, are always going to be tough. But I do think that the reason I think he makes the wrong decision is that he the decision to be best made is one that always focuses on preserving life. And here he doesn't make that decision. He actually makes a decision that could lead to mass extinction. And I, I don't I don't think that's the right decision. Mm-hmm. I think it's a case of humans grappling with how to make decisions because sure. it's one thing to yeah. make science fiction is a parallel for human society. So it's easy to write stories where we're talking about how do we handle things within our own species on Earth? Right. How do we yeah. handle things yeah. directly? But when you start talking about us intervening, well, and then you could write a story where there are no humans involved. If the story were just about the Valakians and the mink, and there was a Valakian scientist who realized what was going on and was trying to solve it in some way, and there were different nation states involved and do, you know, then then you could tell the story maybe in a way that the resolution could make sense or it could be sound or you could you could clearly see right a right. way out. Yeah, here there's really it's sort of a no-win scenario for them because if they give them the cure, then they don't know what will happen, but in their eyes, sure. they've sure. irrevocably altered the course of this planet's history. Right. 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 Now, Which, and, and they already have, right. even just by giving them the prolonged, you know, right. medication. Yeah. So, again, since you don't know, since we don't know the repercussions of our actions, but we're, again, I think that's where it's like, okay, so what are our principles, you know, mm-hmm. Archer's talked about that. What what is our morality? And to me, our morality should be that well, we err on the side of life always. Mm-hmm. And so, if there's if there's a if there's a chance that these people can survive, then we should err on that that side, you know. Right. And and then let history make its decision as to what happens on this planet. You know that they'll have to hopefully make good decisions, but right. you know we should at least give them that chance. Well, and I think that was. Archer's first reaction. And then as the story mm-hmm. goes on, he starts to yeah. consider more about what may or may not right. happen, especially because Flox is explaining to him situations right. that could happen that maybe Archer initially didn't think of. Because right. Flox, you know, he writes to Dr. Lucas that the captain is directing all of our resources to helping people that we didn't even know. Mm-hmm. So, see, I Archer's view evolves as well. So the other mm-hmm. option, though, is to do nothing and just leave. Right. I think that probably as humans, we both agree that would be morally wrong, because especially because they've already asked for help. If if you just discovered something and the people didn't know you existed, it might be easier. But I think still it would be kind of hard to to know that you could help someone who's suffering and you choose not to. But if if you interpret what the, well, it gets a bit gray here because they've already encountered warp capable species, but right. If exactly. you get into well, the, and that's where I, I don't think uh, that I, I completely agree with Archer in the sense of not mm-hmm. giving them 
warp technology mm-hmm. because again that's something i feel like that has to be earned right to understand how to use that type of power i, I think that's where to me it's like that that's not even a question the the question about the the cure is, is a is a completely different question to me and one that again i think when you talked about like the idea of like okay what we couldn't just leave and do nothing because that we don't that would be wrong people ask for our help and mm-hmm. and so i think the idea that we as a species wouldn't hold to our moral ideas out there and you know they bring the whole idea of like different cultures right with with flocks but i find that to be a bit of a red herring because it's not apple that's apples and oranges comparing the idea of like whether uh, the the idea of of you know marriages and how families work and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff that that's a little bit different than the idea of of the discussions of life and death Mm mm-hmm you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. completely different. Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, they, they try to ma- ma- marry the two as if they are the same, but it's not. So, yeah, I I didn't see it so much as trying to to say that they're both the same, but rather it was just. In that situation, Cutler represents humanity and Phlox is just trying sure. to tell her, like, think a little bit outside your own experiences when mm-hmm. when you're dealing with uh, another situation. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, again, too, I, this really is a huge question because I, I would say that obviously, you know, the way that this is written, the worldview that it's coming from is one of probably more of a moral relativistic state. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not a moral relativist. So, you know, I, I and that's not my worldview and therefore i'm not going to agree with a lot of the things in this episode because i don't believe that to be the case right and and that's the thing about the episode is the way that it sets itself up is that it's making a lots of assumptions yeah about things and basing a lot of things on assumptions to which it can't actually prove that will happen and so the base question then of whether or not we help these people and give them a cure or not um, is really the biggest question. The problem is, is that I feel like the answer they come to is is one that's based off of a lot of assumptions that we can't prove whether or not they will actually happen and therefore don't actually answer the question well then of mm-hmm. whether or not we should help them or not. So I and think so, that's where the prime directive comes into play in the future when there is a prime directive and and what they're getting what archer is moving towards when he talks about the fact that there will be some kind of directive or principles is that you're right you can't i mean you can make assumptions but you cannot know so they're just assumptions Mm -hmm. right so if you base your decisions on assumptions it's not a very sound way to make a decision especially when you're talking about life or death or intervening Mm -hmm. in the development of another culture or another civilization. And you see that here on earth too, where you have, you know, throughout history, countries have intervened in other cultures by making assumptions based on their own experiences and worldviews that maybe didn't turn out well for the culture that they went into. And this is just graphing that over, grafting that over into space. 
So what I was going to say a moment ago is that the other option is to do nothing, to just leave. And if you really interpret the prime directive by what I think it's intended to be, a non-interference directive, that would be the only decision that Archer could make, would have been to leave and do nothing. Don't give them any medicine to ease the symptoms. Don't give them a cure. Don't give them more technology. Just say, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, I cannot help you, and leave. Right. That's what he should have done based on the prime directive. And again, I Mm -hmm. keep reiterating, we know there's no prime directive yet, but this is Star Trek, and the story is designed to set up the development of the prime directive. So that's that's what Starfleet, that's what the Federation would have Starfleet captains do. But we mm-hmm. know that's not what happens. Right. You know, look at Kirk, look at Picard, look at Janeway, look at Cisco. Right. They don't follow the prime directive in that strict manner either. Mm-hmm. And so I think the idea of the prime directive is that you remove assumptions from the equation. Mm-hmm. You, you you can't make a decision based on assumptions. Well, and so you yeah. remove yourself from the situation because... Otherwise, you're always going to be making decisions on some sort of assumptions. Mm-hmm. Well, I do think, and and this is interesting because that question about just in the end about the prime directive is the assumption that we shouldn't interfere because of, I guess, natural selection or yeah, evolution right. or yeah. yada, yada, yada. Like, and again, that's, that's, um, it's an assumption, you know, and, and that, and, and that's where in a situation like this, it's like, the the prime directive i don't even think as it's applied in the future would it actually apply here because these people literally asked for help you know right. it wasn't yeah. as though it, 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 we're not interfering uh, in natural evolution or anything because these people literally asked for help and so again it becomes about the question that flox raises about what might happen mm. in the future yeah but but what ha- might happen in the future is not something that we can determine. So yeah. All we can do is something about the here and now. And so, yeah. So, so it's an interesting point because some people might say that, well, if you give them the cure or even medication, you are interfering with natural evolution. You could look at it that way. However, they asked for help. They did that themselves. Therefore, that is part of their natural course their natural evolution so if we give them Nailed help it. yeah <laughs> after they asked for it we're not interfering anymore because they are the ones who initiated it therefore it is part of their right natural course right. of existence right that's something i think is often lost in star trek discussions about interference or the prime directive is it's always viewed from our side right that we're we're helping we're giving something we're intervening Doing so is changing the course of something, not considering the fact that any action initiated by the other side is mm-hmm. part of their natural course. I think yeah. you've said that beautifully, and I think it's 100% true. And and I think the other thing here is, is that, you know, Phlox says that, well, the make could become the dominant species on this planet. Okay, well, that's a possibility, yes. In who knows how long, right? But the, you already see the Valakians taking care of the Mank because yeah. so far in their evolution, they have not been able to do so 
but now they're gaining the opportunity to to do so. And so wh- I don't understand why you wouldn't just tell the Valachians, hey, like, yeah, here we got this cure for you. And we've noticed that the that the Mank are ready for more. And, and this is the point where I do think you could say, hey, we, we would like to bring some people to help you make this, you know, the right choices here like the Vulcans mm-hmm. did with us. Or just be like, hey, you know, the 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 dynamic here is going to change between you in the sense that it's going to become less them needing you to do things for them and more that, well, you guys are going to be able to work on things together. You know, like I think there's something about this that we don't even think about discussing because we just want to quote unquote let, I guess, natural selection take its course. But it's like we're rational beings who have the ability to obviously impact and and help others like i i don't think again like you said they've asked for help we're we're not interfering we're just entering into their lives because of their choices and let's help them continue to make good choices right yeah. like i don't it, it so i do think that they'd really just they they miss a big part of the discussion here, and it's one of the reasons where I think the episode is internally consistent from one point of view, but I think there's a lot of other points of view that just don't get discussed here, and yeah. that's too bad. Yeah. So I have two points I want to bring up. One is about them asking for help, and just to clarify even more so, they literally built ships and went into space to look for mm-hmm. help. Okay, so it's not just like asking yep. for help like let's say Starfleet has a hidden base, you know, with the say the Mintakins and something happens and the Mintakins figure out, "Oh, you're aliens. Here's a problem we have. Can you please help us?" It's not that situation where where they sort of accidentally encountered humans and then asked for help with something. This is a case of, we need help. What are we going to do? Let's send some ships out into space and hope maybe we can find somebody who can help us. So it's a very deliberate act on their part to go look for help, not just ask for help. So that's a big difference in how you view whether or not we would be interfering by responding to the request for help. The other thing I was thinking about is this story would probably work better as a movie where you have more time to get into more details because one thing that is hinted at in the episode but isn't brought up is that I suspect that the Valachians fear the mink. They are helping them but the mink also mentioned that the Vlachians don't let us live on the fertile land, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think that Vlachians, certainly some Vlachian scientists, are well aware of the mink's trajectory of mental development and are fearful of what that would mean for their uh, the, that mm-hmm. equilibrium between sure. their species it in could. the future. Mm. And that very much would play into a request for help, as well as the the morality of humans mm-hmm. deciding to change 
deciding to help and then potentially changing that course of evolution. Right. But that's not right. in the episode. And mm -hmm. that I think would, if we knew that, if it were part of the story, might uh, change the discussion or view a bit. Well, and I think that's what Phlox is referring to mm -hmm. in, in, without saying all of that, um, that idea. Um, but again, that is conjecture. Right. You know, and and um, he's extrapolating. And I think what's interesting here is that Phlox and, and Archer both say that the majority of species that they've run into, there's only been one dominant species on the planet, right? They're assuming, though, again, they're making assumptions that it can't be different, that it can only go one way. And again, I, I challenge those assumptions by saying, why can't it? And we'll mm. see it later in Enterprise that it can. And so it's like, I I get frustrated that these assumptions that we make become these kind of like laws, these these like these these unmovable things as if assumptions are reality. And that's just not the case. And and I I find it intellectually dishonest of the episode to to say well, we're making these assumptions about the way we believe science to work as if science is something in concrete and not always in flux and always changing because we're always learning new things. Right. And that, you know, yeah, there are certain things that are laws in science, but there are very few laws in science. Mm -hmm. Very few. The rest of them are all things that which we're constantly adding to our understanding of. And so right. that's that's the thing that I think this episode really does is that it it makes a lot of assumed knowledge like concrete knowledge uh, and that's 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 something that we shouldn't do as as humankind especially if we really do want to be open to moving and growing and learning and moving if if we were truly moving out there in the universe and meeting different species we would really have to have a truly open mind and what i see here yeah. is that flox has a pretty closed mind actually about how he thinks the universe works right and he's passing that closed mind on to archer and to me that bothers me the most well that's because flox is being written by human <laughs> it's exactly you know, exactly I mean, as much as i love star trek and as much as star trek tries to break out of this mold it is ultimately human-centric mm -hmm. storytelling sure uh and it's actually i know a lot of listeners won't want me to say this but it is very u.s american-centric mm -hmm. storytelling as well which is sure. easy to see if you are american as i am but you've spent most of your life outside of that culture you can mm -hmm. see um, yeah. how the views are applied to the storytelling and is set in space. But of course, we're humans, so we're writing it. Right. Of course, it's going to be human-centric. And it's very difficult to break out of that as a writer and tell something that is truly mm -hmm. broader or more open-minded. And it's also difficult to connect with a, a broad audience in that sense. But I think that this episode, as we go into final thoughts and rating here, I think that this episode, among Star Trek episodes, does raise a lot 
of interesting questions, even if it doesn't answer them in a way that's satisfactory to every viewer, but at least it's not as much of a black and white morality play as a lot of episodes are. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to the Enterprise episodes we've had, you know, the the thought process behind it, the questions it's raising, and all those kind of things, I think make this, uh, you know, closer to a 4.5 uh, out of five because of that. I, um, I, I, I can watch it and enjoy it for it being Star Trek. And I think being good Star Trek, because again, I, I talked about the writing being internally consistent, having all the themes really work well together in this episode. I do just think that it is less open-minded than it actually thinks it is. It's actually much more closed-minded. And for that, it's, it, it, it it's frustrating, and I honestly think you know what's so fascinating. You you mentioned about the the, the way episodes are written, and everything, and I like it's something that I see in just fandoms in general. Like people become very close minded to things and accuse others of being close minded when really it's they're being more open minded, and mm-hmm. so it, it it's just because we want to hold to our preconceptions and or our thoughts about how things work. And it really comes down to the end of like, what are you putting your faith in? And, you know, you're, if everything is malleable, then it's hard to have anything that's concrete that we can really say yes or no to or right or wrong to. And that's an interesting thing. So all of that, it makes for, again, we've had such a fascinating discussion. So I really think this has been one of the better episodes of Enterprise so far. Yeah, I agree. I've always liked this episode. I like the structure of it. I like the questions that it raises. And I like the fact that at the end of it, you know, we can have this discussion about did they do the right thing? Did they Mm -hmm. do the wrong thing? And what, what might they have done that could have made the story uh, more interesting, more, and even better. But I still think it's a great episode of Enterprise and Star Trek, so I'm going to give it nine unexpected kisses on the cheek. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on Dear Doctor. If you'd like to share those with us, there are many ways to do that. The best way is to join the Babel Conference on Facebook. That's our closed listeners group. It's just for listeners. If you're not already a member, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it should come up. If not, just type the Babel Conference As I mentioned, it is a closed group, so you'll be asked some questions so that we know that you are a listener, and you also need to agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. If you would like to send us email, you can do that by going to trek.fm slash contact and using the form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And if you'd like to find us elsewhere in social media, you can find us on Twitter, where our username is trekfm as well as on Instagram, also Trek FM. That's our username everywhere. Now, Matthew, when you're not writing letters to your favorite pen pals, where can people find you? 
Well, of course, uh, you could find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Whether that's uh, Instagram, Twitter, Vero, all those different types of places, you can find me. Uh, you can also find me here on the network on our whole other side of the network we have called the Six Hundred Two Club, and that's where we discuss all the things that aren't Star Trek related. Because, well, there are just so many fandoms out there that we'd like to touch base with, and we get to do that there. Uh, we've got a couple of bonus shows we do there as well. One's called Snyder cuts and the others called assembling avengers as we can kind of continue to grow the network so again just check out the 602 club uh you can also find me here uh doing a couple of other shows one is called literary treks and that's about the books and the comics of star trek and then chris uh we also do together the orb when we get a chance we talk about star trek deep space nine uh together which is a lot of fun and then you can find me over on the nerd party network i do a few shows there one is called owl post that is a completed show i did with drea kaufman where we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time and then i'm also doing aggressive negotiations with the great john mills as we talk about star wars each and every week but Chris, if people want to, you know, maybe talk some enterprise with you or uh, anything else that you've got going on, where would they find you? Well, the best place to find me is on Twitter. That is my preferred platform, although I am on other social media platforms. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere. But Twitter is the best place to catch me. And I would love to chat with you about enterprise or Star Trek in general or college football or technology or whatever you want to talk about. I would love to hear from you there on Twitter and elsewhere on the network. I have the ready room, which I do with Larry Nemechek. And we have an episode out now where we're looking back at the first two seasons of Lower Decks. And also, Matthew, you mentioned Literary Treks and The Orb. So if you enjoy our discussions about Enterprise here, if you enjoy this type of discussion and you're a Niner and you don't already know about The Orb, go over and check us out there. And then I have Interphase and a few other things I'm working on. And uh, we're working on other behind the scenes things for the network that is ongoing. So I would love to hear from you. So drop me a line. And if you would like to help us keep Warp 5, the 602 Club, all the shows on the network going, we could definitely use your help through Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm. You can find out how to get involved in the network, become an associate producer, help us in other ways. We really appreciate everyone who's supporting us now. We would not be able to publish these shows without your help. So thank you. Thank you very much for all your support. Well, Matthew, it's been a great discussion today, but I need to go and do something, but I want to be very careful because there's some sleeping dogs in the other room and we're not going to talk about them until next week. Well, Chris, I think you should be careful and uh, I guess let's go carefully. (laughs) Welcome boomers to another episode of warp five-hour dedicated Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed Matthew. (laughs) It's my esteemed Matthew. Okay. And with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. 